When U.S. Senator Roy Blunt encountered reporters last week in St. Louis County, the first question he was asked wasn't on his speech about opioid abuse. It was about Governor Eric Greitens. Missouri's highest-ranking Republican officials said that the governor's acknowledgement of an extramarital affair and his indictment on felony invasion of privacy charges were, quote, incredibly unfortunate for everyone involved. After being asked how Greitens' woes would impact political candidates, Blunt paused for about five seconds and said this. You know, I haven't spent any time thinking about that. I think uh, more concerned about uh, both the stress this puts on the state and the governor's family and the legislatures trying to go through a session here with this additional issue. And uh, I don't know that I certainly haven't given any thought to any political consequences. But that's not true for many others in the state, especially those who will be on the ballot later this year. Both Republicans and Democrats believe Greitens will affect a nationally watched U.S. Senate race, as well as contests for state auditor and the Missouri General Assembly. That's certainly a concern for people like State Representative Marsha Hafner, an Oakville Republican who has called for Greitens to step down. She believes that Republican candidates will be negatively linked to Greitens' behavior. Running on integrity and family values and only to find out that those are just words, not who he is. And then when you look at the other investigations that are taking place, it just all plays into why I think he's become ineffective in his job and we just need to move forward. With his trial date set for mid-May, Greitens is steadfastly refusing to step aside. And some of his Democratic adversaries are just fine with that. Some Democrats have refrained from calling on Greitens to resign, partly because they could use him as a political punching bag throughout the 2018 election cycle. Others, like Glenn Cage of UAW Local 2250, fear Republican Lieutenant Governor Mike Parson may be more effective at uniting the GOP and passing bills detrimental to organized labor. Most of the Republicans don't want anything to do with him. They don't want to work with him, so they're not pushing a lot of legislation. They don't want him to have any kind of opportunities to succeed. One of the concerns that, that I have from my perspective is that if he's gone, is this going to open the floodgates for the next guy to come in and he could be just as anti-labor? I mean, he's not been friendly to labor throughout his career, and I don't hardly see that changing once he assumes the role of governor. Since Republicans control most of Missouri's state government, Democratic State Representative Deb Lavender of Kirkwood says it's up to them to decide what to do with their GOP governor. I'm sad for Missouri. Um, we wanted something different. Yeah, we got something different, but not what we were looking for. And I think there's a good case to be made that experience is helpful. And so I think there's going to be a hard look at Missouri in November of this year, nationwide this year. Uh, you know, certainly other states are looking at it maybe more from a Trump perspective, but we have the perspective here of then adding this new governor and his actions. On this edition of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's Joe Manis and Rachel Lipman join me to recap all of this week's developments in the Greitens saga. We'll also delve a little bit more into how uncertainty over the governor's future is affecting the 2018 election cycle. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter for St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. Also joining me in studio today is... Rachel Lippman. This is a new regular feature on this podcast that we're going to start doing every Friday. We feel that there is a lot of news that is swirling around with 
Governor Eric Greitens' indictment and political future. And we felt it would be good for our listeners and people that not only listen to this show, but people who don't listen to this show, for us to wrap up everything and also answer your questions, which we're going to get to at the very end. Um, This particular show is going to deal with the legal, the legislative, and the political developments of the Greitens situation this week. And Rachel, you've been following the the legal aspect of this case probably closer than anybody at this studio. Trying to, at least. Uh, the, The big thing that comes to mind is that both Greitens' legal team and circuit attorney Kim Gardner Kim Gardner's legal team added some people this week. What does it mean and who are these people? So the first name that I think a lot of people in St. Louis are, are going to recognize again is Scott Rosenblum. He's kind of, you know, the big criminal defense attorney in St. Louis that you're going to use if you're semi-high profile or have a semi-high profile case. He has joined uh, the governor's uh legal team. Joining Kim Gardner's legal team is an attorney by the name of Ron Sullivan. He's out of the District of Columbia, and he was an attorney for the family of Michael Brown when they sued the city of Ferguson and got involved in some of the other legal issues after Brown was shot and killed there in 2014. And then earlier this week as well, Judge Robert Durker, he was on the bench in the city for years, had a lot of big sort of civil cases. He handled the case of Paul McKee and all of his tax incentives up on the north side. He entered an appearance for the office of the circuit attorney. He's now working with her as sort of one of her chief trial assistants. So you're kind of really starting to bulk up legal teams on both sides of the of the of the bench here. Now, one of the notable things here is that this is not a political uh, split. Uh, most of those names on the uh, Greitens side that she's mentioned are known Democrats, either ac- activists, donors, or just leaning. Uh, whereas Durker, while technically he's, some have considered him a Democrat, others would say he's extremely conservative. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know his family. And so in some ways, my point is those who think, oh, the Republicans are on one side and the Democrats are on the other, uh, no. Right. Flip it. Flip it. In some ways, yeah. I mean, Ed Dowd, one of the the big legal names for the governor, has donated a lot to Democrats in the past. Jack Garvey ran as for uh, alderman as a Democrat and gave a little bit to to Mayor Krusen in the last election. It's really just who they can get onto the side for they think the best legal case they can offer. Now, Rosenblum, but who by the way is not related to me, as I often have to point well, it's out, spelled differently. It's also spelled differently. And sounds differently. Um, Rosenbaum, you, Rosenblum, it, but you it, know, it, it just one of make that put that out there he has often represented high profile people who have been mm-hmm. in trouble yeah most recently nelly was in a lot of trouble yeah with charges dealing with sexual assault mm-hmm. uh rosenblum was his lawyer mm-hmm. and those charges n- i think were dropped after a while due to various Never. circumstances yeah. so th- the point that i'm trying to make is rosenblum is often brought in for high profile people who are in a lot of trouble and it seems that he's whether you like him or dislike him, he's very effective at defending yeah. his, his clients. That is what he's being hired to do. And he's also expensive, as are many of these yeah. other lawyers that are on the governor's team. And I'm going to preempt something here as far as the questions, because I think we need to point this out. We OK, the governor's expenses are basically being paid by two nonprofits that were set up by his uh, supporters. So we don't know. Uh, who actually is giving money to help uh, pay for the governor's uh, legal team. I mean, the governor, Eric Greitens, does have some money on his own, 
But from what his staff has indicated the last few weeks, that's not being used. It's this money. And this is just so people understand. And that We was, have asked and we've looked. Yes. And that was actually from Bryce Snelson. He asked, uh, generally, anyone who hires Rosenblum is guilty. And I think his call in doing that really shows his values. Also, who his is pay- being, I think, uh, the governor's yes, here. And who is paying for his huge defense team. So Joe was answering that question. And to get well, to that, I want to emphasize, just because somebody hires Rosenblum doesn't mean they're No, it doesn't. Yeah, I think, Jason, you summed it up really well on St. Louis on the Air on Friday and that this is, you know, a legal system where you get the representation you can afford. And the governor is using his right to an attorney that he can afford, whether because he's paying for it or if this nonprofit is paying for it, There's is this the case here? The two yeah. nonprofits. This is the person that he thinks can provide him with the best defense. And also, I think Rosenblum has been in a courtroom setting, a criminal courtroom setting, more recently than, say, uh, Dowd or Bennett or some of these other guys. And I think that's also probably why you see Ron Sullivan and Durker and Robert Steele in for uh, Kim Gardner. It's just people who have been in courtrooms more recently. Now, Marshall Griffin, our Jefferson City correspondent, was at a press conference with Al Watkins, who is the attorney for the ex-husband of the woman that's heard on these tapes that were aired by KMOV. Um, Marshall asked Al Watkins if anybody besides the ex-husband was paying for the ex-husband's representation. And there are two other clients, too, that he has. Yes. One of them is a former staffer and one is a male stripper seeking a pardon. We wanted to see if anybody besides those people were paying for Al Watkins' representation. This is what he had to say. Well, I don't get paid a salary, sir. I pay myself a salary. That's one. And two, the day the governor comes here and tells me who's paying his salary, which includes you and me, if you're talking about attorney's fees, the day the governor comes out and says, oh, let me tell you who's paying my private counsel, I'll be happy to talk to him about who it is that's paying his fees. But in the meantime, how I'm paid, if I'm paid, and when I'm paid, it's nobody's business. And I mentioned the former stripper, by the way. Joe, you, you've been following that aspect. Also a law student, I think, at Wash or Slew yes, or Wash U, yes, yeah. Yes, do do yes. you want to just delve into that a little yes, bit more? The stripper is among a couple cases uh, in the last few decades where uh, men uh, videotaped or took pictures of women that they were having sexual encounters with, and the women didn't know it. And they ended up, ge- in effect, being found guilty of uh, crimes because of that. Basically, the argument being from Al Watkins that this is the exact same thing that the governor has done. And if arguing that it is not a crime in the governor's case, which his attorneys have, then it clearly isn't a crime in the case of this male stripper and former law student. And hence, he has asked the governor for a commutation or a pardon. It may be a stunt, but... Well, well, that in mind, we're going to move on to the General Assembly, where the, the House has created a committee to look in to the indictment and to possibly consider articles of impeachment. Uh, This committee had its first hearing this week, and there wasn't a real whole lot for reporters to see because I believe that the first hearing was Jay Barnes opened it, told the press that they were going to be meeting often in secret, and he also had these words to reporters that have been staking out the Jefferson City Police Department for the last few days. And I realized that as I look across here and I see all these cameras that this request may very well be ignored. But I ask for everyone here to respect this process and to respect witnesses 
who are appearing in front of this committee to respect their privacy and to respect, respect our attempt to get at the underlying facts the best that they can. At the conclusion of this committee, we will have a public report and records of our proceedings. But until that time, you are not going to get any comments from me or members of this committee or hints from members of this committee. You are wasting your time trying, and it wouldn't be fair to anyone involved in this process. Not everybody has liked that attitude that Representative Barnes has made. This is actually a clip from Senator Rob Schaff, a Republican from St. Joseph, person that does not like Governor Greitens at all and has called for his resignation. He believes that keeping most of the hearings secret actually could potentially backfire on members of the House. If you make it closed and then the governor is not recommended to be impeached, everybody is going to be going, well, a bunch of Republicans, you know, protected their own. So, Joe, this is a, a situation where I think that there's a balance between the right to know and people in the media wanting to get as much information as possible and the committee members wanting to protect the identity of, of witnesses and I guess to provide not a media circus atmosphere for some of this. What, what's kind of your, your observations on what both Representative Barnes and Senator Schaaf said? Okay, a couple little basics for our listeners. That's a seven-member panel. Five are Republicans, two are Democrats. Many of them are lawyers. Jay Barnes is a lawyer. Uh, he's a state rep from the Jefferson City area. Barnes is a Republican, and while he is known as a Greitens supporter during the campaign, uh, Barnes has often broken with his party on various controversial issues in the House. Um, so he is considered pretty much a straight shooter when it comes to uh, legal issues. I think his concern is he wants to make sure that all the witnesses can speak freely. Um, I think that they are meeting fairly often. They've, they've met several days this week, the, the panel. Uh, again, they're doing it in the Jefferson City Police Department rather than in the Capitol, which is rather in, intriguing. Um, they do have roughly 40 days uh, from when they were named. Um, it's going to be people are going to be paying a lot of attention to see if, see if there's any leaks. Uh, one of the uh, Democratic members is State uh, Representative Gina Mitten, who we've had on the podcast and who I've talked to several times before she was named to the panel about this. She's a lawyer. Uh, of course, she's been critical of the governor's behavior, but uh, she has said nothing since uh, she's gone on the panel. And I just also want to add, uh, add something about Representative Mitten. She was the first person to call for then-House Speaker John Deal to step down from his leadership position after his intern sexual harassment situation. And it, it, I think that many people, regardless of if they do not like her political views on things, she has been eminently consistent on this issue, whereas, frankly, some of Deal's defenders did not call him out when it happened, and they've been some of the loudest detractors of Greitens. My question with the like the secrecy around the hearing is that you have to think a lot of these same witnesses are going to be ones that uh, Gardner maybe has on her list of people she's going to testify to in this oh, case. Sure. And that trial's not going to be held in secret. I mean, no. the courtroom's going to be open. So these identities, if they're not already known, which I kind of think they're an open secret really anyway at this point. Among the reporters. Among reporters. And I think more politically connected people as well. I know a number of people who aren't reporters who know who know the identities of a lot of these individuals. 
And so what are what, kind of what are they protecting then? Like eventually these witnesses are going to come out in in public assuming they want to testify. It's just kind of a, a weird like, you know, you're calling them in for the secret hearing. And if they are then called into a public trial, does that indicate a weakness? in? Well, well here's a question. Government? If the woman who is on that tape does not want to testify publicly, does Gardner even have a case anymore? I mean, she can subpoena her. Yeah, she, she can order her to show up. I mean, she can obviously the woman can then say, I don't want to testify. I don't you know, she can't take the fifth necessarily because she's not being incriminated She's not being charged with a crime. There's no, like, self-preservation against prosecution there. I, and but... I ask that. I think she, I mean, I don't know whether she testified before the grand jury. But, but her initials were in there. My, I'm assuming she did. Yeah. But we also don't know if she was uh, forced to be there with the subpoena. Correct. That's sort Correct. of one of the unanswered Correct. questions. We'll be watching that committee because even though they have 40 days, it's not out of the question that they could render some sort of decision sooner. I think that what one of the things that's going on is that the uh, Republicans involved, whether they like Greitens or not, they want to appear as dignified as possible. I mean, got to remember why this is going on. Greitens' political arm is attacking the circuit attorney almost daily. Yes, and act- very vicious press releases. In fact, some of the Republicans in the General Assembly have told the governor's operation to quit doing that. Interestingly, that's actually one of the other questions that we got. Um, because some of the governor's allies have made a point. It's to, the governor's campaign operation. And the cam- campaign operation has pointed out that when she was running for circuit attorney, Kim Gardner took, I think, well over $100,000 from a PAC that's linked to George Soros, who's a billionaire political activist who's often reviled among Republicans for various and reasons. Greitens took how much money from well, this you know, is the, various... The, the, the question yeah. that came from somebody who didn't want to give their name was the, quote, George Soros attack on the prosecutor from the Missouri GOP. What kind of strategy is that? Does anyone fall for it? And this is what I'll just mention here. It is a time-honored tradition in Missouri politics to point out somebody took money from a donor and is therefore their opinion on something is tainted by that money. Frankly, Democrats do this all the time. Mm-hmm. We've been seeing this this week where a Democratic state representative from the Kansas City area is pointing out the fact that Republicans took a lot of money from David Humphreys and there's a bill that could affect his company that is being deliberated in the House. And, and, and he was especially critical of Ron Richard because Ron Richard took money from Humphreys and then sponsored the bill. Ron Richard has steadfastly denied a pay-for-play thing, and he's been very adamant about now, that. Now, Ron, Ron Richard is the Senate, uh, president, Senate pro president pro tem, and David Humphreys is a very prominent businessman from Joplin and is also one of the top Republican donors. Rachel? I mean, if you get back to the whole, does the George Soros attack work necessarily? I think it's messaging. I mean, to the sort of some of the Republican base, it, you know, sounds like, yes, you know, you are being, we are being attacked, or your, your governor is being attacked by this, you know, person who's supported by this billionaire liberal democrat kind of thing. So I mean, strategy is 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 messaging. I think it's kind of getting out there and, you know, trying to the extent that he can shore up a a popular base. Like as Joe, you've mentioned many times, he has no friends in Jefferson City. We're talking about the governor. The governor has no friends in Jefferson City. But if he can say to his supporters who, if he's running as a Trump like candidate, you know, political insiders, Democrats, liberals are against me, that resonates with that base. Now, before we get into the political aspect, I do want to answer the last question that we received from 
Harry Truman. I'm surprised that the former president listens to our show and is alive still since he's been dead since 1970. Will somebody explain why, if Greitens is removed from office or resigns, that there won't be a special election to serve out the remainder of the term like every other public office? Well, I actually have the law in my hand right now, and it reads as follows. Whenever any vacancy caused in any manner by any means whatsoever occurs or exists in any state or county office originally filed by election of the people, Other than the offices of lieutenant governor, state senator, our representative, sheriff, a recorder of deeds in the city of St. Louis. Your favorite favorite office, Jason. My favorite office. The vacancy shall be filled by an appointment of the governor. So basically, the governor ends up filling most of the vacancies in the state except for those exceptions. It is actually pretty common practice. Let's say there's a vacancy in a statewide office. That person fills out the rest of its term. That's what's happening with Nicole Galloway right now. She's basically filling out an entire term that's unexpired right now. See, and Republicans are beefing about that. I mean, they were threatening to have a bill several years ago after uh, State Auditor Tom Schweik died, um, but they never did. I mean, the the Constitution is, state Constitution is very clear. The governor um, is replaced by the lieutenant governor. What's And part of the reason that there isn't something set up for the governor to appoint the lieutenant governor if in, in the case of vacancy, which is similar to what happens in, uh, in the White House. This goes back to the 70s, but Nixon did have to name a new lieutenant, Lou, uh, vice, vice president. president after Vice President Sparrow Agnew um, ended up being forced out of office. But my point being is that in Missouri, the governor and the lieutenant governor do not run as a team. Mm-hmm. They are independent uh officials, they run separately. It's not been uncommon the last 30 or 40 years for the governor to be of one party and lieutenant governor to be of another. So when the state law was set decades ago, uh, I think the uh, lawmakers and the powers that be wanted to keep that separate. So as a result that the governor does not have any control over who was lieutenant governor. Well, I'll just say this before you, you chime in, Rachel. Representative Shemed Dogan has filed a bill that would allow a governor to fill a lieutenant governor vacancy himself, um, in, in, and then it would be up to the Senate to approve it, similar to the vice presidential situation. Frankly, the Republicans have a jillion members in the Missouri General Assembly. If they want to do that, they can and they will. It happened in Illinois after Judy Bartopinka died. The Illinois legislature, which is controlled by Democrats, made it so that there was a special election for comptroller so that it couldn't be filled for a whole time. It's just the way things work. I'd like to point out to Harry Truman, quote unquote, that there was um, no special election after he became president after FDR died. That's that's a good point. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the political ramifications that you heard at the beginning of the show and that you might have heard from Joe and I on the airwaves of St. Louis Public Radio. It's becoming abundantly clear that most Republicans and Democrats believe that this Greitens situation is trickling down to other races, especially the U.S. Senate race. Um, Clearly, one of the people who believes this, to some extent, is U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill, who, while she has not explicitly called for Greitens to resign, and she's also made it clear that she doesn't want to opine on the criminal case at all, because she is a former Jackson County prosecutor, she is starting to needle Attorney General Josh Hawley for his relationship and conduct in dealing with the governor's office. Here's a clip that I recorded from uh, Democrat Days in Hannibal this weekend. I think Missourians are just going to 
figure out who's getting things done and who is willing to work across the aisle and who's not trying to fight Donald Trump every day but willing to check Donald Trump. Um, I think they're going to evaluate the candidates on that basis. I do think that he needs to show that he's done his job, and I think the things he promised to do in his campaign, he has failed to deliver on, um, particularly his, his promise that he was somehow going to be large and in charge of public corruption. He clearly has, has whiffed every opportunity he has had uh, to get at that problem. Uh, and by the way, McCaskill is referring to Attorney General Josh Hawley. Now, uh, Her opponent for U.S. Senate. Well, possible opponent. We don't know if he's going to yeah, win the he, primary He's yet. among nine. Oh, that's true. That's he's, right. a, he's among nine Republicans now, competing right now. Now, Joe, Holly's campaign pushed back pretty hard against that comment. They believe that uh, the attorney general has been pretty focused on public corruption. Um, McCaskill has said, though, that uh, Holly's office basically let the governor's office off the hook when it comes to the Confide app, which is this application that allows text messages to disappear. I'm curious, like, Based on what we reported, do you think that this Greitens situation is really going to loom large in this U.S. Senate race and other races like Auditor and Missouri General Assembly? I think, well, A, it's March. <laughs> the elections are in November. Uh, you never know. I mean, things could change dramatically. Right now, it looks like there will be some impact, but it depends on how this thing turns out. If there's more disclosures that make the, uh, Greitens look bad, uh, it's going to depend. Holly, while he did sort of leave the— Put the, leave, leave the governor off the hook on the confide situation. The governor was accused of basically um, violating the state record retention laws because his staff was doing a public business with the confide app, so there's no record of what they were doing. They've admitted that, but for whatever reason, Holly, because there's no evidence, because everything disappeared, um, Holly's uh, conclusion was, well... Okay, I don't think they violated anything, but there's no evidence, and we do caution them to quit doing this. That that was, in a nutshell, his conclusion from his report. He now is looking at another situation, which may be more uh, serious, having to do with the donor list from the Mission Continues, the nonprofit the governor created before he was governor. But, frankly, a lot of this is, even though they're totally different situations, this is where Greitens has had it problem. Even before all this stuff came up about this woman, he's been under fire for various accusations of lack of transparency, the fact that he has these uh, nonprofits that are taking all this money that nobody knows where they're coming from, the fact that during his campaign, especially his general election campaign, he had he got most of his money through the National Governors Association rather than direct donors. So we can only guess who ended up being his major supporters. Financially, at the same time, he was going after others and continues to go back others uh, over where their money comes from. So he was already under fire for all this stuff when this thing happened. So while they're not related, uh, his his critics in both parties are using it to shape a narrative about him. And I wonder if this whole like money thing is eventually what ends up kind of being his downfall. Either there is additional charges coming perhaps at a state level, perhaps at a federal level. We know that there's been rumors floating around that people have gone to the FBI with some stuff. And anyone can go to the FBI and say like, hey, we need things investigating. Or, you know, more and more donors start to realize that their money maybe isn't going for things they were intending it to go for. And they're the ones that pull back. He starts putting... Um, funding for the rest of the party at risk as donors are just like we don't want to be associated with this guy if that's what leads him to get pushed out of office well because see there's been these questions for months about 
as I said, because he had this two nonprofits um, separate from the nonprofit set up to pay for his legal fees. A lot of nonprofits. And, and there's been questions about uh, where that money comes from and where it's going. And so while while the laws are kind of sketchy on some of this, and there's no evidence that he's broken any laws so far, authorities might look into it if it turns out that money went from some of these nonprofits to this woman or somebody else uh, in exchange for their silence. I'm not claiming that any of that's going on, but I'm just saying there have been rumors for, swirling for months, and I think, frankly, that that's why the circuit attorney is expanding her probe a bit because they just want to see if there might be a money trail. I, I mean, that'll, I'll be interested to see if more comes out before this trial we know is set for May 14th, 2018, which is, as many political nerds are sitting here going, the last week of session. Um, and or if they have enough time to develop another case. I mean, May, 18, May 14th is a pretty quick trial date with all of the other workload that the uh, circuit attorney's office has. And I'm curious if they were hoping for a longer date to get something that's maybe a little bit more solid to find that money trail or if there ends up being a second case. Uh, One last parting thought before we leave you for the weekend. Um, Marshall Griffin has informed me that the ex-husband of the woman will be testifying before the House committee at 3.30 p.m. on Friday. We're recording this at 2.35 p.m. I'm not shy about it. There's nothing secret about it. Uh, we respect very much the desire of the committee to be respectful of others who may want to keep things quiet. Um, this is not something that should be shrouded in secrecy. Those who have been victimized should be supported to come forth and not be fearful of reprisals, not be fearful of questions being propounded upon them that, how do you feel? You're the one who started all this. No, my client's not the one who pulled his zipper down. I just want to thank both of you for for doing this. We're going to try to do this as much as we can, especially when there's weeks with lots of developments. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at... At R. Lipman, two P's, two N's. If I'll Joe on Twitter at J Manis, it's J M A N N I E S. And make sure to follow all of our coverage of this story and many others throughout the Missouri political universe on stlpublicradio.org. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, and until next time, so long.